getting excited for Christmas? I know, Halloween hasn't happened yet, and Remembrance Day is just around the corner, and so Christmas maybe is a little early to start talking about, but we want to get these dates on your calendars, and they're super important. And uh, Pastor Sallow told me this week that there are still uh, spots in the Christmas choir. If you would love to sing, come and let us know. Pastor Sallow's floating around here, and uh, you can let him know that you're coming. Uh, It's in the afternoon. Uh, What time? Three. Three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, we and then need more men. We need more men. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a little bit of a deficit on the men guy, uh, spot. So uh, come. It's a great community opportunity to connect with folks here at UDAC. And you will enjoy it. And we will enjoy it on December the 18th when we uh, have our production. Um, we've taken uh, a little hiatus off our sermon series that we've been doing in Genesis over the last two weeks. Last week we had a special mission Sunday where we had Ian and Rebecca here from North Africa, and they shared their stories of what God is doing in them and through them, and it was exciting to hear what God is doing. And then the week before that, two weeks ago, we had our healing Sunday and a special service focused around healing. And we had a great number of people that came forward. I think between the two services, at least around 35 to 40 people came forward for prayer. And, uh, you know, if you were one of those, we would love to hear how God's working in and through your life. If you have a story to share, please let us know. We'd love to get some feedback and know what God is doing uh, in our lives. Uh, And again, even last week, we had others that came forward to pray. And so we want to continue to remind you that there is always an opportunity to pray with folks here after our service. There'll be someone up at the front here. Uh, Every week, we have someone here. Anyway, we're back into our sermon series from Genesis. And this week, we are in Genesis chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, you can turn to that. Genesis chapter 19. And as I prayed over this message uh, in preparation, as I normally do, I had some difficulty knowing what God wanted me to focus in on as it relates to this chapter that Pastor Scott left me with. And... uh, As I reflected on our theme, which is passing the baton, um, uh, we know that that's been our focus over this last uh, number of weeks as we've gone through Genesis. And as I prayed about it, um, God gave me some clarity and focus uh, on, especially as it relates to passing the baton. Before we go into that, let's dive into this passage and let's read it. I'm going to read it, Um, starting right at the beginning. Genesis chapter 19. This is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Really, more than anything, this is a story about Lot. Chapter 19, verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so just slightly different. That evening, the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. Lot was sitting there, and there uh, was sitting there, and when saw them, he stood up to meet them. Then he welcomed them and bowed with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, come to my house to wash your feet and be my guests for the night. You may then get up early in the morning and be on your way again. Oh no, they replied. We'll just spend the night out there in the city square. But Lot insisted. So at last they went home with him. Lot prepared a feast for them, complete with fresh bread made without yeast, and they ate. Before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom 
young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot. Where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. So Lot stopped. Uh, so Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he begged, don't do such wicked things. Look, I have two daughter, two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them as you wish. But please leave these men alone, for they are my guests and are under my protection. Stand back, they shouted. Fellow came to town as an outsider, and now he is acting like our judge. We'll treat you far worse than those other men. And they lunged toward Lot to, bring, to break down the door. The two angels reached out, pulled Lot into the house, and bolted the door. Then they blinded all the men, young and old, who were at the door of the house, so they gave up trying to get inside. Meanwhile, the angels questioned Lot, do you have any other relatives here in the city? They asked. Get them out of this place, your sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone else, for we are about to destroy the city completely. Outcry against this place is so great it has reached the Lord, and he has sent us. So Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés, quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it. But the young man thought he was only Dawn the next morning, the angels came, uh, became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out right now, or you'll be swept away in the destruction of the city. When Lot still hesitated, the angels seized the hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside of the city, for the Lord was merciful. When they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, run for your lives and don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Oh, no, my lord, Lot begged. You have been so gracious to me and saved my life and shown such great kindness. But I cannot go to the mountains. Disaster would catch up to me there, and I would soon die. See, there is a little village nearby. Please, let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. All right, the angel said, I will grant your request. I will not destroy the little village, but hurry, escape to it, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. This explains why the village was known as the place. Lot reached the village just as the sun was, arising, was rising over the horizon. Then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the, from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them along with the other cities and villages of the, of the plain, wiping out all the people and every bit of vegetation. But Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him. This is a crazy story, isn't it? You go, this, is, this happened. This is, this is what happened. This is God's word for us. So the question for us is, what does he want for us to know this morning? Key character I want us to focus on is actually Lot, more so than on Sodom and Gomorrah this morning. Lot is our key, especially as it relates, relates to passing the what are we passing on to those around us, right? 
I've said this often to my kids, and I say it to us this morning. Who is rubbing off on who in your circles? When you think about all the places you spend your time and your effort, who or what is impacting you? Or who and what is impacting those around you? Our title this morning of this message is, Who is Impacting Who? Question to ask ourselves. Lot chose to settle in Sodom. And Pastor Scott talked about this uh, and how this all went down a few weeks back in, in this sermon series. Abraham gave Lot the first choice of where to settle. They looked out and they said, you can go over this way or you go this way. And over by Sodom and Gomorrah, it was very lush and very plentiful, very productive area. And so that's where he chose to go. Lot soon found himself living right in the city of Sodom. So much so that when the two angels of the Lord came to rescue Lot and his family, family, the angels found him sitting in the gate, at the gate. And if you look into that a little farther, which I dug into, and I've heard this before, that this is really significant, where the angels found Lot. This isn't just a random passing little bit of information. This is really important to note. Lot was sitting in the gate. Entrance of the city being in the gate was a place for the city officials and other men to discuss current events and to do business. This was an important place to be. It was a place of authority, a status where a person could be seen, could see and be seen. Evidently, Lot held an important position in the city. That is why this location was mentioned, and why the angels, or why, and that's where the angels found Lot's city. Lot convinces the two angels to come to his home. Now, I'm not totally sure he knew who those men were at the at the beginning, but from his perspective, he thought they needed protecting. So he gets them to his home. Maybe it was by the way they were dressed that he knew that they were not from around Sodom. But for whatever, in that culture, visitors were held at a high, uh, were given high respect and honor, and were protected and cared for. So Lot took that on for himself. And this whole situation at Lot's home is very disturbing when we read this, isn't it? I'm sure as I read it, I'm sure if you've read this before, it's a very disturbing The level of sin that this city was in and how this city really had rubbed off even on Lot because of how he talked to those men outside his house is really disturbing. Maybe when these angels grabbed Lot and brought him back into the house uh, and then those men, those two angels, blinded the men outside, maybe it was at that point Lot realized these, first of all, men didn't need to be protected but that maybe they were messengers from God. When you look at verse 10, two angels reached out, pulled Lot into the house, and bolted the door. Then they blinded all the men, young and old, who were at the door of the house. So they, so they gave up trying to get inside. Meanwhile, the angels questioned Lot. Do you have any other relatives here in the city? They asked. Get them out of this place. Your sons-in-law 
your sons, daughters, or anyone else. The angels question Lot. Who else is a part of your household? Well, Lot had two daughters. And he had chosen two men to be their husbands, their fiancés. And again, these are not just random facts to pass over. This is really important. Lot should have, and I'll say should, have gotten two men, godly men. He should have gone back to Abraham's clan or some of his relatives and found godly men to marry his daughters. In that culture, of course, it was arranged marriages. We know all that. But he chose two men in the city. Was it a, a prestigious thing? Was it he was making a business transaction or whatever? I don't know what the reason was, but he chose to find two men in the city of Lot to marry his. Verse 14, Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés, quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it. But the young men thought he was just. Again, something we could simply pass over really quick. Two men did not have respect for Lot. Young. In that culture, they should have given way more respect and honor. Father-in-law. Lot had lived so long and was so content in this culture and the people who, uh, and in this culture who didn't follow God and were wicked that he was, Lot was no longer a believable, a viable witness for God. He was not. God. He'd allowed the environment, those he rubbed shoulders with, to shape him rather than he shaping those around him. Lot had compromised so much so that he had no voice. Two young men thought he was just joking. When he finally took that stand and he said to them, you got to get out of here, God's going to... Wouldn't even believe it. At dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out right now, or you will be swept away in the destruction of the city. When Lot still hesitated, the angels seized the hand, his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city. Lord was merciful. Seems as though Lot is dragging his feet here. And the angels literally had to grab them all by the hands and take them out of the city. They not want to leave? What's going on here? Did they not believe that the city was actually going to get destroyed? Or maybe the comfort and the wealth he and his family enjoyed, and the position Lot held was, was much too much to give up. What was going on here? Why the hesitation? He knew that these two men 
had power because they blinded these men the night before. Like, there was witness of who these guys were. Yet there was an incredible amount of hesitation. So I ask us, the comfort, wealth, and lure of our culture that we live in today, it can be very strong for us too, can't it? And maybe this is an opportunity for us to stop right now and say, God, what is it in my life? What is it in our life that is keeping us from following God, from doing what he wants us to do? What is pulling at us? What is the lure? What is the comforts? What is it that is causing us to pause, and be hesitant, maybe even disobedient? The Bible says we're not to be in this, we are to be in this world, but not of this world. John 17. Um, John 17, verse 14 says, and this is Jesus speaking, I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of this world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world anymore. Jesus tells us, as followers of him, we don't belong to this world. We are in this world, yes. We're meant to be here. But we are not to be of the world. And there is this big difference between the world and being of this world. Well, and then we see Lot in the following verses that he begs the angels to not destroy this one little town so he can escape and live there. Angels agree. Verse 23, Lot arrives at this little town and God rains down destruction in Sodom and Gomorrah and the whole region. That's pretty crazy. Evil, the sin that was emanating out of this city, out of this region, these cities, these towns, so much so that God put an end to it. Outcry. And again, there's a whole message right there. There was an outcry coming from that city, from those places that reached God's ears. And then we know that Lot's wife turned to stone as she looked back. Another crazy part of the story. What's going on here? They were told not to look back, but to run, flee for their lives. She looked back for whatever reason. We're not told why. But I would assume that the lure and the pull from the culture that they came to enjoy so much so was what caused her to linger back, to drag her feet, because it says that she was behind them somewhere. I don't know how far back. She was being lured by the culture. She was of the world more than she was just in it. Maybe she was holding on to her past, not willing to let go, or, and to trust God with what he had in store for them. I don't know. got turned to stone because of her heart and way. 
question for us is, what are we clinging to that we're not willing to let go and trust God with? Are we looking back while trying to see and move forward with God? It says you can't serve two masters. Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, Matthew. You can't serve two masters. You will serve one or the other, but you can't do both. The angels warned Lot and his family, don't look back, and in a real sense, to really flee from the wickedness and the values and the, 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 the things that were going on in this culture, standards of what, of what was in there. Jesus also said in the Sermon on the Mount later in, I think, Matthew 6, he says, if your eye causes you to sin or your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He's not literally saying that to cut it off, but he's saying take the extreme measures. Do what it takes. In this case, for Sodom, or for, for Lot and his family, they had to flee. They had to leave Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to finish this message with reading from Romans chapter 12. There's two verses that really speak to this passage that I want us to uh, really closely to. If you want to turn to it, you can, or just listen. I think many of us know these two verses from Romans chapter 12. And it says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, so, Udak family, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And then verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't copy the behavior. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing. Get that? I love how Eugene Peterson puts this passage. He says this in the message. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and present it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture. Here it is. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Maybe this is where Lot was at. Dead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, 
always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity. Well, how he puts that. Words that are really clear to understand. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Are you being swayed and pulled by our culture? What do the people around you see in you? What are you passing on to them? What are you passing on the baton? Here it is. What are we passing on to those around us? Kids? You have kids? What are you passing on to them? What do they see in you? Your coworkers, employers, your employees your neighbors, and the list goes on. What are we passing on to those around us? Do they see God in us? Do they see the things that God loves in our lives? Think about that for a moment. What or who is impacting you? Who is impacting who? Is it the culture? Lot had a hard time leaving Sodom. I think the comforts and the culture were just so enticing that he really didn't want to leave it or have to dis- or or see God destroy it. He allowed the culture he was living in to impact him. How did he? How do we allow the culture to impact? Well, we are to be in the world to wrestle with that and ask God, what does that look like for us? What does it look like for you? What does the input in our lives look like these days? We're to fix our eyes and our thoughts on Jesus, things that he's about. What does that practically look like? Who are the significant people that we listen to in a given week? Who? What does the media intake look like for us in a given week? Whether it's on our phones or on the TV, maybe the books and the magazines that we read, what is the intake in our life look like? Who's having the privilege to put information in us? How much God input do we have in a given week? Are we intimately pursuing Jesus? Going to church like you are here, we're all here together. Connecting with people throughout the week, whether it's in a, a men's Zoom group or a ladies' Bible study or connecting in small groups, whatever it is, how are we connecting and, and being a part of what God's doing? What is the input in our life? And are we leaning into this? I want to read it again, Romans 2, from chapter of Romans 12, verse 2. And I want you just to think and to be praying, God, what is this for me? Don't copy the behavior. It's a plea. Don't copy the behavior and customs. But let 
God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will. You are always desperate to know what God wants. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and What behaviors and customs of this world are we to guard ourselves from? We need to keep asking ourselves that question daily because the enemy is out there. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And if we don't think he's stealing, if you think we're immune to that part of that verse, he's already stolen something. If you think you're immune to the enemy in John 10.10 and only focusing on what Jesus gives, if you don't think the enemy is not stealing, killing, and destroying in your life today, you're missing it because you've already lost it. Yes. Jesus has come to give us a full and abundant life, but don't forget that the enemy is real. Prowling around, 